This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Man, I like that intro, right? It makes you want to preach or get into a solid gunfight, right? Maybe one and then the other, so I don't know. Um, I like that, though. Um, a couple of things I would say this morning before we really uh, jump into the, uh, the heart and the weight of this series, Why Church, where we're going to uh, sort of reveal, it's like we've had a soft launch and this is the hard launch of, of our mission statement, the way that we have, have crafted together a statement from uh, basically uh, the great commandment, the great commission to talk about who we are as a church, why we exist, what we're about, and how we go about it. Um, but before we do that, I just want to say a couple things. Um, as, as most of you could probably tell, uh, Tori is in the latter weeks of producing a new human being. And so I would encourage you to be praying for she and John uh, those, those final weeks and the weeks after um, are, are often hugely stressful. So just remember them in your prayer. Remember their, their home, Marin and Cooper, their kiddos uh, now and them as they prepare for what God is doing uh, in that way. Uh, second, I would say uh, their, their skill set, their calling and their gifting is such a gift to us. Um, and you don't know because you don't see so much of what happens on the backside that uh, when we have weeks like this now where everybody goes on vacation except us, right? Um, you've got 20% that are sick and 80% of those that are gone that are vacationing and some who are sick and vacationing, and then there's, then there's us, right? Uh, but on these weeks, including where musicians all go off, um, John spends a great deal of the week singing or playing on all of the different instruments and the different parts those parts that will be missing and recording them and editing them so that they'll slide exactly in as if those people were here. And Tori helps in that. So that the worship experience that we have is far more full and complete than it otherwise would be. That's a rare level of gifting. I don't have it uh, at all, right? I mean, if, if that's the state lottery, I'm a $5 scratch off. So... Um, but I'm grateful for that, and I want you to be aware uh, not only of that level of gifting and skill, but that commitment to do that rather than just to sort of lazy it on out here and say, well, we'll just kind of do the best we can with whatever we have. Yeah. Mm. Last thing I would say, for those of you that are, are you're trying to light on fire during worship, sort of the Baptocostal ones in here, we're going to try to get you seated together so that there might be an ignition of the Holy Spirit and that would spread like a wildfire does. So I could feel it trying to break out this morning um, and I think I'm, I'm probably a little Baptocostal myself. So uh, we want to see the Holy Spirit unleashed here. I mean, the only hope we have is the, is the Holy Spirit at work in and through us to the glory of God and by His grace. Right Now, last week, Jake uh, was sort of a pinch hitter, and I was so grateful uh, because I got wildly sick for maybe the second or third time in 21 or two years uh, of doing this and 
had to uh, call an audible on Saturday, and he was able to pick up the ball late Saturday evening and come in and kind of set up this series. So what I want to do now, and I'll give you a heads up, we're going to be in uh, mostly in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, toward the end of your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you have a Bible or you want to follow along on your tablet or your smartphone, you can do that. The verses will be up here, this passage up on the screen this morning. But I want to talk a, a little bit briefly about mission statements and, uh, you know, everybody pretty much has something that's written. Uh, hopefully, uh, though, though many people in organizations, churches, businesses, whatever, may not know it, but we are better when we know who we are and what we're about. We are, we are better when we know who we are and what we're about. There's this great scene on a television show uh, called Parks and Rec, uh, which I love. And Ron Swanson is the lead character, at least in my mind, on that. He's the character I most closely relate and connect to. Uh, and and I, I love him. There's this, uh, there's this scene where he's at a diner, and he's kind of up on, the, uh, up on the bar at the diner, and he's ordering. And he said, uh, he, he ordered a steak, and they brought it out, and he said, this is, this is not a steak. The guy's like, I'm sorry. He said, I don't, why would you call it that? And he said, I'm sorry, sir, this is what we serve. And he said, take this back. He said, um, I want all the bacon and eggs you have. And he said, okay. And he, he said, wait, stop. I fear what you heard me say was I want a lot of bacon and eggs. He said, I want all the bacon and eggs you have. And the guy said, you got it. And he was, he was happy. There's another restaurant scene where Swanson is in there, and he orders sort of a, a sampler, a platter. And the waiter says, sir, that's, a, that's meant to feed a group. It's got several different meats on it, several different vegetables. He said, son, I know what I'm about. <laughs> Can I just tell you, churches operate better under the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit when we know what we are about? Because a church that doesn't know what it's about, a church that doesn't have a clear vision of what the, the big thing is, of what the, the high-level thing is, makes big things out of all kinds of small things. When the, the main thing is not the main thing, all the small things become big things. And everybody's personal thing becomes their thing. And there's all kinds of terrible uh, theology and lack of formation and confusion and sideways energy and, and very little missional movement without a clarifying statement that is so broadcasted, so communicated, so repetitious, so ingrained throughout the life of the church, so biblically rooted and theologically solid that eventually people get on board and get in and God begins to, to move everyone together forward with one heart and one mission together or they just kind of fizzle off, right? Let me give you some examples of statements from, uh, from organizations or businesses that have a reputation for being high level. Chick, Chick-fil-A. Right, Chick-fil-A, we went through a little fast food uh, place, a lesser one yesterday after Cage's soccer game uh, to feed the children, to ruin their minds and their hearts at the same time. And we were going through, uh, and I said at the end, could I, could I get some sweet and sour sauce? And right, like post-COVID right now, you just hope they have it. You know, you pull up and they're like, we're out of chicken. Well, that's all you sell. How are you out of chicken? It's like showing up to Home Depot and them saying, I'm sorry, we don't have tools today. What do you have? Right? Plants? So, 
So I don't know, I like this many sweet and sour sauces, okay? And so the lady hands the bags to me, and I hand them to Sharon, and I said, hey, check those bags for the sauces. I said, the only people I trust with sauces are Chick-fil-A. And they're going to mess up because they're human, so eventually. But it will not be their standard of business, right? So we check there. But let me give you Chick-fil-A's mission statement. Chick-fil-A exists to glorify God by, bringing, uh, by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. How many of you have consistently experienced having a, a positive contact or influence at Chick-fil-A when you go there? Yeah, yeah. They, they work hard to live this out. Southwest Airlines, which has for decades now been really the standard everyone was trying to get to when it came not just to sustainability and profitability in airline experience, but customer satisfaction. Their mission statement is to connect people to what's important in their lives through friendly, reliable, and low-cost air travel. There are other low-cost air travelers, but they lack those first two characterizers. Characterizers, I'm not sure if that's a word. Adjectives. Friendly and reliable. Anybody ever flown a budget airline that you wished 14 days into a two-day trip uh, you had not chosen to fly? Yeah. The New York Yankees. Now, I know there are a lot of New York Yankees haters out there. Um, I'm a fan of history and baseball. And eventually, I, I had to come out about my love for the Yankees. I couldn't stay quiet. Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But the New York Yankees, I love. Their mission statement is this. The New York Yankees' ultimate goal every year is to win the World Series. Anything less is a failure. Now, you might say, but they've got a ton of money. But don't we know organizations or even people with a ton of money who are losers? It's all right. Yes, we do. We do, but they know what, we're, uh, what they're about. Let me tell you what we are about here, right? How, how we pull from, from the Scripture to craft a single statement to say, this is what we are about. We exist, Lost Mountain Baptist Church exists to glorify God by helping all kinds of people find and follow Jesus through gospel-centered ministry. We exist to glorify God by helping all kinds of people find and follow Jesus through gospel-centered ministry. This is, this is who we are. This is what we're about, helping all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. Why we do that? To glorify God and how at a, at a high level we go about that through gospel-centered ministry. The kind of Jesus-focused, grace-infused, day-in, day-out, week-in and week-out, year-in and year-out ministry that over time enables people to find and follow Jesus in ways that transform their lives, their thinking, their worldviews, their homes, their workplaces. This is who we are, and this is what we're about. And so this morning, I just want to talk about what it means to glorify God and why we say we exist to glorify God before anything else. Often if you ask people, even in the church, often, hey, what is the church primarily about? At the highest level, what is, what is the win for a church? 
And they'll often say it's, it's missions, right? We're called to, to global missions, especially Southern Baptist churches would say that. I would argue, biblically, that is not the primary win. People might say evangelism, right? It's evangelism. It's telling people about Jesus. That is not, I would argue with you, biblically and when, the primary ultimate goal of the local church. The primary ultimate goal and mission of the local church is to glorify God, to adore Him, to worship Him, to acknowledge Him above all others, to make His name known. Glory, if you look about it, I was kind of looking through some Bible dictionaries and theological dictionaries this week, looking at how they handle this idea of glory. Glory. Glory is displaying or attributing to another, either displaying in oneself or one's thing or attributing to another the qualities of renown, splendor, power, worth, and praise. Renown, splendor, power, worth, and praise. This is what God's glory is all about. Uh, you see it in so many ways throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you often see God's glory being on display through His redemptive actions again and again and again in the life of his elect people over and over and over you see God's glory on display when he comes in what the the LM Institute people will know as a theophany when God makes himself visible when he gives a visible display of his invisible power through a, a pillar of fire or a cloud or a burning bush or something like that God's glory is on display and before we jump into to second thessalonians chapter one i just want to challenge you with this i want to challenge you with the idea or the truth that the bible is ultimately not about you it's not a handbook of how you can have a good day it's not a guide to how you can live your best life now the bible is ultimately and fully about god and his glory, and his power, and his redemptive acts throughout human history. God is at the center of God's word. Not you, and not me. And we've got to make this theological shift. Because we have been walking, and looking, and acting, and talking through the wrong lenses in the Western church for a long, long time now. We've made this about us. Or even about God's love for us. Does God love us? Absolutely. To the point of the crucifixion and resurrection of his son. But are we the center of scripture? Are we? No. We're not. Are you the point of the church? No. Are your desires or preferences the point of the church? No. Are mine? No. God and God's glory, God's sovereign goodness and power and beauty to look on God and to be intoxicated by God. And God's glory is what Paul would say actually changes us from one degree of glory to another. It's what transforms us is beholding the glory of God 
We'll say more about that in a minute. But before, before we do anything else, before we talk about what it means uh, to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus, before we talk about what it looks like to be helping people find Jesus and what it looks like to be helping people grow as followers of Jesus and what it looks like to do all of that through gospel-centered ministry, we've got to know that all of that follows our calling to bring glory to God in all that we do. What would it mean as a church if every time we gathered, the highest yearning of every heart in this room and in everybody else who normally is in this room who's traveling is to bring glory to God. When we worship, we want to do it in a way that glorifies God. When we gather to attend to uh, God's church's business and hear from Him and simply follow His desires and will, we do it in a way that glorifies God. When any committee or ministry team gathers to meet and work out logistics or nuts and bolts, they do it in a way that glorifies God. When anyone serves, when any ministry operates, we serve and we operate intentionally in ways that would bring glory to God and His name. And you as individuals, when you leave here and you go out to eat, you leave a tip that would bring glory to God. So a funny little story there, I had a late start this morning, which is really rare on Sundays, um, and I flew out of the house, no breakfast, I was thinking, okay, I don't need to eat breakfast, but then sometimes I'm a little woozy, like right about now, if I haven't eaten anything. So I went by Martin's, I was like, hey, give me like five servings of eggs and a biscuit. And so they did, and I got up to the window, and it was like $7 and something, and I got my card ready, and the guy said, a debit card, not a credit card, and I said, um... I said, here you go. And he said, hey, man, the, the person in front of you paid for you. I said, oh, right on. Very cool. And they went back to do their thing. And then you have that moment, you know, because you look, you're like, darn it, someone's behind me. So do I accept this generous gift from God, or is this a test? I don't know, right? Am I going to be the one loser that they talk about the rest of the day that broke a 13-vehicle chain? By saying, thanks, I'll see you next time. So I said, hey, I want to pay for the guy behind me. He said, okay, cool. So I handed him my card because I could see there was just one person in there, right? I did look back several times. And he's like, okay, that'll be $15.99. I'm like, dang it. I gambled and lost. Twice, I'm sorry, baby. Twice the amount they paid for me. But when you go out and you tip, tip to the glory of God. Man, when you're talking to your kids at home, Relate to them in a way that brings glory to God. When, when you've got an issue with someone, talk to them about it in a way that would bring glory to God as you're discussing it. And on and on we could go. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. We'll just read 11 and 12. With this in mind, now, now um, Paul has just unpacked the, the ultimate victory of God and defeat and punishment of those who have stood against God, denied the gospel in both word and deed, and stood against the people of God. He's encouraging believers in Thessalonica who are going through a difficult season. He said, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. 
We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back and let's walk through this just a bit. He says, with this victory firmly in mind, looking toward the eschaton, toward the return of Christ, the culmination of the victory of God, the fullness of all that God has in store in terms of the restoration of his creation and the final transformation and glorification of his people who will live and exist and breathe and have life in that restored creation. He says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you. We constantly pray for you. And, and the prayer is basically a, a two-sided request that God may make you worthy of his calling. Let's pause there for a minute. Some of your, some of your translations say, uh, may say that God may count you worthy or count you as worthy. That's certainly valid given the language. It's the context here. Right? It's the context here, the grammatical context, that makes that a difficult way to translate that. That our God may make you worthy of his calling. Because that's tied directly to the next part of the request. That by his power, he, that is God, may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. And your every deed prompted by faith. All right, so Paul says, we are constantly praying for you in light of what we know to be your future. And I would just say to you, church, this morning, regardless of where you are personally, regardless of where you are in your marriage, regardless of where you are vocationally, regardless of what season we're walking through as a church, our future is the full and final victory of Christ, of sitting at the banquet table of the king, enjoying good food and the worship of the one to whom we should be ascribing glory to now as we practice, right? That victory is assured, and he says, we pray that God will make you worthy of his calling. Now, who is the active agent in that sentence, you or God? God. It's almost always a safe bet to say God. That God will make you worthy. That God will make you worthy of his calling in your life. Can I say, when you were dead in your transgressions and sin, as the New Testament teaches you clearly were, and God made you alive in Christ as he ignited the faith to believe in you, and by his grace accepted that faith in Jesus Christ, and all of your sins, past, present, future, like on the way home with the kids today, all of them are wiped clean by God's past, present, and future grace. That when that happened, you played no part in that. You played no part in that. God, uh, Paul says in Romans that, while you and I were still sinners. And he goes on to unpack that more. Not just sinners, but warring against God, enemies of God. 
Christ died in our place. Does it not follow then that God would have to be the one who makes us worthy of his calling? It absolutely does. Now, is that without our cooperation? No. I've never seen an uncooperative, undisciplined, unfaithful, transformed follower of Jesus Christ. It just doesn't happen. You don't get to go to bed self-centered and grumpy one night and wake up transformed the next morning. That would be awesome, and spouses have prayed for that. Children have prayed for that. But it doesn't happen. We are called to walk, to cooperate with the one who is making us worthy of his calling. This calling is another way to talk about the election of God, the the calling out of God, of men and women in Christ to believe, to put their faith in him, to walk with him. And, and, not just that God would make you worthy of the calling that you've received as a follower of Jesus, but that by his power, by whose power? God's. By God's power, he may bring to fruition. Who's bringing it to fruition? You or God? God. Your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Let me do a little bit of work with this word desire. We, we don't have a very healthy view most of the time of desire. In fact, I, it, it's interesting. Often I'll meet believers and talk with believers who are really wrestling with something because their desire is to do thus and so, but they're like, man, I, I don't know if I can trust my desire. Well, I don't know either. Like, I don't know how close your walk with Jesus is, but I'll tell you, God gave you desires. Desire is part of human faculty and human emotion. It's neither good nor bad. It can be good and it can be bad. But can you think of a better way for God to work in your life, to guide and direct you if you're walking with him than through your desires? Do you think God is not the God of your desires? Do you think he's not Lord of what your heart yearns for? And I'll tell you, biblically, this word desire is almost always linked with the will and purposes and plans of God. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying we yearn constantly that God will make you worthy of his calling in you and that by his power, by his power, he will bring to fruition, he will bring to reality your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. God absolutely expects us to be walking by faith as believers. And this is hard, guys. This is so hard in a culture where almost all of our legitimate needs are easily met. You have to fight for it in an affluent Western culture. You are not operating in faith where no risk is involved, no potential loss is involved, no questions are present, no doubt involved. That's not faith, right? That's easy. But throughout this, Paul is continually, continually weaving, and throughout First and Second Thessalonians, the wider context here, this beautiful artistic interaction and dance between the faithfulness of the 
believers in Thessalonica in the goodness and faithfulness and ultimate sovereignty and providence of God at work in their lives. And when it didn't seem like it, like Paul's writing this because they're looking around and people are dying off and Jesus hasn't come back and they've got some false teachers coming in and around and there are people in the church that are annoying and there are people outside the church that are annoying and, and seeking uh, their demise. And Paul has to say, look, it may not look like it in this season, but God has not lost control. And we are constantly interceding on your behalf that God will specifically on you as a church. All the yous in here are y'alls. Or you guyses. I know when we moved to California, I, like, I adopted you guys pretty quick and lost the y'all from Texas. Because if you're trying to communicate, and you're trying to preach and teach and talk to people, uh, you can't sound significantly dumber than, than you are. And I know that's, like, that's how my accent can sound and so I was able that was an easy fix to drop y'all and, and go to you guys but I never could get into the you guys's thing hey uh, are you guys's uh, things going to no 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 just you guys is an automatic plural so you don't need a guys's at the end I'm off track here but Paul is dealing here with the church as a whole he's he's saying I pray that that for you together God's calling for you as a body he may make you as a body worthy of the calling that you as a church have received. That by his power he may bring to fruition your every good desire as a church. And your every deed as a church that is prompted by faith. Like he's not going to, to slap a W in the column of everything you want to do. But we're praying and asking him to do that for every single venture that is prompted by a desire to follow God and to display the wonder and the majesty of the gospel before a watching world. Now, listen to what Paul says in verse 12. He says, we pray this, we pray this so that, so that. He's going back to the, to the why. This is what we're doing. Let, let me tell you why we're doing it. We're doing it so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Paul is saying all of these ventures that you're doing as a church, everything that you want to give yourself to, it matters. But it is not our primary concern. He's saying our, Paul and the other apostles, and gospel leaders with him. Our primary concern is the same as God's. That the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified through you. That the glory of God would go out through you as a local church. Into the world around you. That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you guys. And you guys in him. That our actions, our words, the way that we love one another, the way that we forgive. You remember Paul teaches in that 1 Corinthians passage that's often used at weddings, and I just think you're setting up a young couple for failure there, that love keeps no record of wrongs. They're not able to hear that yet, right? You know, It's like a five-year-old acknowledging that life is hard. Catch them seven years later, and let's, let's talk through 1 Corinthians 13, right? 
but love keeps no record of wrongs. What if, can you imagine if we did that in the church? So-and-so didn't, didn't text me back. We'll cry a river. And, the, and like, this is not, nobody said to me, hey, you didn't text me back, so I'm not venting here. I'm just saying, there are all kinds of things that you and I, like we keep these little tickers for everybody. So-and-so passed me in the hall and didn't talk to me. So-and-so didn't invite me to go out to eat with him. What are we, 12? Right? Love keeps no record of wrong. What if the way that we interacted with one another brought glory to the name of Jesus? What if the ventures that we planned and the ministry initiatives that we planned had to answer how this would bring glory to the name of Jesus? And then how we would go about it in a way that brings glory to the name of Jesus? Paul is saying, this is our ultimate, our ultimate desire for you, Thessalonians, and all local churches throughout the ages, is that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, that the splendor and power and majesty and awe and wonder of Jesus might begin to drain into our lives. So that when people interact with us, they're experiencing the glory of God through our own transformed lives and hearts and values and faces. Some of us just need God to come and do a work on our face. right? Maybe there's been a wonderful work of the heart, but it hasn't gone up to the facial muscles. And so no one else might think so. This is Paul's desire. It is God's desire for those Thessalonians. Thessalonians, It is God's desire for us. And Paul says that this, this desire is according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's just one definite article there. It could be, or, uh, or according to the grace of the God and Lord Jesus Christ. He says that all, all of this takes place Right within the safety code of the grace of God. It is according to God's intended providential sovereign grace that our actions might be made real. Our gospel desires, our deeds prompted by active faith might be empowered by God, made sure by God, brought to completion by God so that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in us. And we might be glorified in him. It's the same prayer that Jesus prayed in the latter chapters of John as he was looking toward the cross. Now, do you understand how it changes you when, when you can begin to believe biblically, okay, my life is, is not about me. It's not about my happiness. It's not about my success. It's not about my influence. It's not about the impact that I have. It is about the glory of God. My marriage is not about me. It is about the glory of God. My family is not about me and where I live and my neighborhood and my street, but about the glory of God. My church is not about me, but about the glory of God. In fact, I am the church to many. The church is a movement you're a part of, not a place you go to primarily. And on and on it would go. My vocation my, my skills, my abilities given to me by God and the opportunities to exercise them are not about me. They're about the glory of God. You can't imagine how that would change things. Now, let me, un unless, and I know there's, there tends to be some tension here with you like, well, 
you know, but I thought God did what he, he does because he loves us. Yes, secondarily. But I would say this, it, it is the goodness of God that makes that secondary, secondary to broken, weak, and sinful humans. Because if I think that, that, that God's love for me is primarily why he does everything, that is so close to me thinking God is about me, therefore why wouldn't everyone else be about me, that my sinful, fractured, totally depraved being, even ransomed by God with the Spirit at work in me, almost cannot handle that. Let me show you why, why this idea of God being primarily about his glory and that drives his love and his faithfulness to his people is such a warm blanket for us. And I, I don't want you to think I'm just making all of this stuff up. Psalm 23, this stuff, will, I'm going to move pretty quickly. This stuff will not be on the screens, these verses. If you want them, email me. I'll send them to you. Uh, Psalm 23, uh, I'll read. You guys know this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. That's a, those are beautiful things, right? That's how God relates to his people. And then the rest of verse 3 says, For his namesake. For the sake of the name of God itself. He relates to his people this way. Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. He's talking about the redemption, the reclamation of his people, bringing exiles back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And we could go, I mean, we could just give dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of verses throughout the Old Testament. We've been watching as we've been following the storyline of Scripture in Lost Mountain Institute classes on Wednesday night and Sunday night, how, how God calls for the, for the glory of his name. He elects for the glory of his name. He rescues his people out of slavery for the glory of his name. He establishes patterns and practices for them in the wilderness for the glory of his name. And on and on it goes. If you go from here, you look at... Uh, Let's say John 15. We find that Jesus says he answers prayers of the saints, your prayers, so that God might be glorified. Can I tell you, I have a whole lot higher confidence in Jesus' movement in my life if it is ultimately for the glory of the Father than I do if I think it's all about me, ultimately. Listen to this, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 15 of John Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Answered prayer, fruit bearing, uh, the evidence of being disciples, all of this is tied up in the glory of God. Go back a little to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter we covered this months back. But Matthew chapter 5, if you look at the salt and passage light, I'll just remind you that the, the, the uh, ending of that brief section of Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 says this, verse 16. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
the very reason, the very reason that the light of God is to shine through us, that we are to go about our lives as ambassadors of Christ, men and women contributing to the restorative and redemptive work of God in his creation and among the people he's created, is so that the world might look on and glorify God. Paul lays it all out in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and he says, you know what? In fact, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And he doesn't pick big, massive things. He doesn't say, man, when you're able somehow by the Spirit of God to help someone take steps toward Christ and they're baptized, do that for the glory of God. He doesn't say, hey, when you go to a different country or continent or city to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, do that for the glory of God. He says, hey, when you sit down and have a bite to eat and something to drink, you need to do that to the glory of God. Everything is about the glory of God. God's own creation cries out in worship and praise to the glory of His grace and His name. This is primarily who we are as the people of God. This is primarily what we are about. This is why we do what we do. And in our mission statement, that we exist to glorify God by helping all kinds of people find and follow Jesus, we believe that ultimately long-term, the most significant way that we glorify Him and bring glory to His name is getting into the flow of what He's doing on earth and laying down our lives instead of saying, everything's about me. I do what I want when it's convenient. I do it for as long as it's convenient. If I'm not happy, I quit. And that's everything, jobs, marriages, houses, friendships, churches, serving, everything. When we have this shift and say, maybe it's not about me. In fact, maybe serving is discipleship. And on and on we could go. There is this massive shift that happens in us, and the tethers are let loose, and the anchors are broken, and a church can begin to set sail into the mission of God in their community to do and to be what God has called us to be. As the band makes their way back up here this morning and prepares to lead us just in a time of worship and response to God and His Word, I would encourage you to meditate on this. To say, God, ask God, God, help me see where I've made my life about me, where I've made my church about me, where I've made my home about me, where I've made my marriage about me, my children about me. God, forgive me. If we, if we have Sundays here where we don't repent, I mean, something's not going right. Something's not going right. I don't know about you, but when I come together, one of the ways it does me good to come together here with you is I get convicted of my own sin, my own half-devotion in areas. And I have to come to God. Sometimes just right over here going, God, forgive me. Let us be about His glory the splendor and majesty of His name, the glory of His grace. Let's stand and pray. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.